Please remain standing in honor of God's word. We're continuing on through the book of Proverbs. And this morning we're looking at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33. Proverbs 1, beginning at verse 20. This is God's inspired, inerrant, authoritative word. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But... Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we freely confess that we need wisdom and instruction. So we ask you to grant us grace to respond to the cry of wisdom. And then we ask that you would be true to your word and pour out your Holy Spirit, and make your words known to us. We confident request these things in the name of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As many of you know, before I came to this church, I was part of a Korean church for eight years, and I remember one evening, I think it was after a Bible study, we went to Baker Square. It was a regular place that we would go to. Everything else was closed. And, and there was about half a dozen of us. And I, I remember we were seated around a table and, and we asked each other this question. If you hadn't come to Christ, where do you think you would be right now? And we each answered that question. One person said they... They thought they would be an animal rights activist. Another person said they thought they would be hanging out at the bars. And another person said that they didn't even know that whether or not they would be alive. By the way, that was my answer in case you were wondering. But before each one of us came to Christ, we were all headed in the wrong direction until God intervened in our lives and turned us around. But here's the truth. Even as Christians, we can get off course from time to time. 
The Bible has different ways of describing such people. The Bible says that they're backsliders. They, they slide away from the path that they should be taking. Uh, sometimes the Bible refers to them as fools, as we see in the book of Proverbs, because they ignore God's advice, and there are other terms as well. But it's in such situations that we need a word from God if we're going to get back on track. And often God graciously gives it to us. That word can come through a a pastor or a parent or a friend or a spouse. But regardless of who it comes from, we, we pray that God will give us that, that word. In our passage this morning, Lady Wisdom is doing all that she can to encourage fools and simpletons and scoffers to change direction. Because they are heading into a storm, a whirlwind that will destroy them. And wisdom is doing whatever she can to help these people turn around to avoid destruction. And in order to avoid destruction, wisdom does three things, if you're taking notes. Number one, wisdom cries aloud. Number two, wisdom warns soberly. And number three, wisdom promises Pentecost. So to avoid destruction, first of all, wisdom cries aloud. Notice again how the passage begins. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, old simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will you scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Lady Wisdom sounds like an obnoxious, harsh street preacher. She's not behaving in a very ladylike manner at this point. And the reason for that is because this is not the time to be dignified. Too much is at stake. Now, I don't know if any of you have actually seen a street preacher in person. When I was a student at Moody, I saw a number of street preachers. Some of the students would go down to the L station and get a little soap box. I don't know if it was a soap box, but some little box and stand on it. And they, they would talk to the people as they were going on to the, onto the train station. It's a pretty bold thing to do. And that's basically what Lady Wisdom is doing here. She's in the marketplaces where it's busy and she is on her soapbox, as it were, and she's trying to get their attention. And they, by the way, don't appreciate what she has to say. It's one of the reasons why people don't like to be a street preacher, because you don't usually love street preachers. Often you mock them, scorn them. But here we have Lady Wisdom, the street preacher, crying out to the simpletons, the fools, and even the scoffers. And notice her persistence. In verse 22, she says, How long, O simple ones, we love being simple. How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? The implication seems to be that these people are just continuing on in their behavior. And at the same time, Lady Wisdom is continuing on coming after them. It's as though Lady Wisdom is saying to these people, how many sermons do you have to hear before you will finally respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit that has been coming through the message? How long until you will finally yield yourself to the Spirit of God? 
It reminded me of Stephen preaching in Acts 7, crying out to the Jews to repent of their ways. And in Acts 7.51, we read Stephen saying, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And instead of repenting, instead of responding to the Spirit who was convicting them, they ended up, as some of you know, actually stoning Stephen to death. So in case you're wondering why you don't see many street preachers, that's one of the reasons. Sometimes it can be very costly. The message that Lady Wisdom has is actually very simple. She wants these people to turn around. They're going in the wrong direction. Verse 23, if you turn at my reproof. She wants these people to turn. And that's a common theme that we will actually see in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs 27, 12, we read, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Lady Wisdom is saying, do not just continue on. If you continue on, you are going to suffer for it. I like this simple story. Day one. I went for a walk down a street. I fell into a hole. I didn't see it. It took me a long time to get out. It's not my fault. Day two, I went for a walk down a street. I fell in the same hole. It took me a long time to get out. Why did I do that? Day three, I went for a walk down the same street. I fell in the same hole. I got out quickly. It is my fault. Day four, I went for a walk down the same street. I saw the hole. I walked around it. Day five. I went for a walk down a different street. I can't handle it when I go down that street. Every time I go down that street, I feel something sucking me down that hole. I'm not going down that street anymore. That's what Lady Wisdom is saying. Stop going down that street. You know where it's going to lead. Listen to my reproof. Do not just keep on going. You will suffer for it. And wisdom is crying out. Now, if you were here last week, we, we talked about wisdom. And we asked three questions. The first question was, what is wisdom? The first answer was, wisdom is principles to live by. We have principles in the Bible. We have principles in life. Ben Franklin was famous for giving principles or proverbs. Many of you are familiar with this one. It's a good one. Early to bed, early to rise. Makes a man healthy, wealthy, and... Ah, yeah, there's, there's a good one. This is a very good one, Ben Franklin. They who can give up essential liberty to obtain a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. In Ben Franklin's Poor Richard's Almanac, we have over 700 Proverbs. Uh, Many of them are very instructive, but I reminded you, the Proverbs that we have in God's Word are inspired, infallible, and inerrant. So when wisdom speaks, we need to pay close attention. 
I also asked the second question, what is wisdom? And the second answer was characteristics that should guide our lives. Characteristics like righteousness. Proverbs 11:8. The righteous is delivered from trouble, but the wicked walks into it instead. So one of the characteristics of a wise life is living a righteous life. And another characteristic is that of faith. You have to believe these promises that God gives us in his word. And then the third question I asked, switching gears a little bit, who is wisdom? And I insisted that wisdom is none other than Jesus Christ. And we looked at Proverbs 8.30, which says, and this is wisdom speaking, Then I was beside him, talking about the Lord, like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. Wisdom says, before the world was ever created, I was there right beside the Almighty, and not only was I right beside him, I was also involved in the work like a master craftsman, and we took delight in each other. And I said, that sounds exactly like John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And I said, if you look at Proverbs 8 and John 1, it's like Clark Kent and Superman. You, you realize they are talking about the same person. And then another example, since we were in John 1, John 1, 4, in him, talking about the word was life, and the life was the light of men. And then Proverbs 8, 35 said, this again, wisdom speaking, whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from God. So wisdom doesn't just give instruction. Wisdom actually gives life in all its fullness, and wisdom gives you favor with God. So this is clearly a picture of Jesus Christ. And this is very important. Last week I mentioned that before we went into this passage, I wanted you to understand that wisdom is Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that when Lady Wisdom is speaking, that's also a reference to Jesus Christ. And when you understand that, that will change your entire outlook on wisdom and the book of Proverbs. For example, con consider Proverbs 1.7 once again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise Jesus Christ and instruction. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And if Jesus Christ is wisdom, then to despise wisdom is to despise Jesus Christ. So we're not just talking about principles or characteristics. We're talking about a person. This is personal, and this is the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, who is speaking to us through his word. So it's important for us to have that perspective. And if you love Jesus Christ, you will love wisdom. And when wisdom speaks, you will be all ears. When wisdom cries out, you will run to the front of line because you want to hear what wisdom has to say. You are hanging on wisdom's every word because you know 
that is for your good as well as his glory. Your relationship with wisdom will make all the difference in the world how you hear the words that are coming from his mouth. So in order to avoid destruction, wisdom cries out, the message is turn, and you need to understand that it's none other than Jesus who is saying turn. Number two, wisdom warns soberly. Verse 24, because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, and distress and anguish come upon you. Isn't that strong? The storm comes, and wisdom says, I will laugh. I will mock. It reminds us of Psalm 2, where the people are rebelling against the Lord and against his anointed, Jesus Christ. They want to cast off their, his bonds, talking about his law. They want to live however they want to live. And we're told that he who sits in the heavens, and I'm paraphrasing, looks down on these puny rebels, and he laughs, and he holds them in derision. And that's what wisdom does. This is not a jolly old laugh. This is the laugh of mockery. These people are getting what they deserve. And they knew this day was coming. In Romans 1.18, we're told that the wrath of God is, present tense, being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth of God. They're stiff-arming God. And then if you would read on, you would see Paul saying that three times God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them up. God gave them up to what? Their sin. So if you were to ask, what is the wrath of God that is poured out in this life? And it's, it's God saying, you want to sin? You want to indulge in that addiction that you know isn't good for you? You want to do that? Continue to go. Hands off. I'm just, I'm just going to let you go on your way. Let's see how that's going to turn out. So God lets the con sinner continuing on with his or her drugs, alcohol, gambling, immorality, laziness, financial mismanagement, refusal to listen to mom or dad, running with the wrong crowd, fill in the blank. God says, you want to go down that road? Go down that road. I told you that road is heading over a cliff, but if you want to go, then, then go. And the judgment of God is people just giving them over. And wisdom says, I cried out to you again and again, but you wouldn't listen. So now when the calamity comes, I'm just going to laugh. I'm going to mock. Believe it or not, it gets even more sobering. 27, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despise all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their ways and have the fill of their own 
devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. What could be more frightening than to cry out to the living God only to have him refuse to answer? Charles Bridges said, to be forsaken of God at any time is awful. Whoa, how much more in the time of trouble. But to have his countenance not only turned from us, but turned against us, his eternal frown instead of his smile, this will be hell instead of heaven. There's nothing more frightening than to have God say, I'm not, I'm not going to listen. And, and this is why I turn to Hebrews 4, verse 7 again and again. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If God is speaking to you today, you need to respond. You can't just assume, I'll respond tomorrow. I'll live however I want today. I'll indulge myself in this sin. Maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day, I'll repent. You can't presume that you will repent. Repentance is a gift of God. And if God is speaking to you, we, we need to respond. I remember a while back on, on Facebook, I had, I had said that repentance is a gift of God. And I had a couple of verses which says that God grants repentance. We can't repent anytime we want. And a woman on Facebook took issue with me. And I, and I wrote back and I said, if we define repentance as turning away from sin, haven't you ever known people who were caught up in sin and, and wanted to turn away from their sin? They, they wanted to stop sinning, but they, they couldn't because it had a hold on, on them. Have, haven't you ever known people like that? And I think it was maybe the only time I've ever been successful on Facebook talking to someone, and, and she understood exactly where I was going, and she responded back, I have known people like that, and, and I have been like that. I've wanted to repent. I've wanted to turn away from my sin, and I found that I, I couldn't. And I said, I've been like that too. I know what that's like. God grants repentance. God turns us away. And when he speaks to us, when he's extending his grace to us, when he's extending his arm towards us, as wisdom says, stretching out his arm, we want to take hold of it. We want to respond positively. We can't just presume later I will repent. Wisdom says perhaps later when you want to cry out, it'll be too late and I will ignore you. This is a sobering passage. Hebrews 12, 15 to 17, the author says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. That's the translation of the ESV, and I do believe it's the most accurate. He sought repentance with tears, but he couldn't turn away. God had said, I'm not, I'm not going to listen. 
So we really have just two options. Will we listen or will we not? C.S. Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce, that there are two types of people at the end of the day. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those whom God will say to them, thy will be done. It's either one way or the other. But what's the attitude of your heart, even this, this very moment? I love the, love the hymn, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded and still. I hope that's your mindset before God and his word and his spirit. So to avoid destruction, wisdom cries aloud, turn. Wisdom warns soberly. You need to turn or I'm going to laugh and you're going to cry out. It's going to be too late. And number three, wisdom promises Pentecost. Verse 23, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I like that behold. For us, it's kind of archaic religion. Behold. Think, think of a, a mom saying to a child, look at me. Look at me. Pay attention to what I'm about to say. Wisdom says, behold, look at me. I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. And I do believe that the spirit here should be with a capital S because this is none other than the Holy Spirit. Not everybody agrees with this interpretation, but Charles Bridges agrees with it. John Owen agrees with it. Just so you know, I'm not alone. This is the Holy Spirit. Um, if it's not the Holy Spirit, is there another spirit of wisdom that I'm not aware of? In Isaiah 11, verse 2, we're told that upon the Messiah, the Spirit would come, and we read, And the Spirit of the Lord shall descend upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. We're told that when the Messiah comes, the Spirit is going to come upon him. The Spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, knowledge. Even Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, in his incarnation, if he was going to have that wisdom, it was going to come through the Holy Spirit. And the same is true for us. And wisdom is promising, if you listen to me, I will pour out my spirit, and make my words known to you. Now, here's something I think we need to understand. As Reformed Christians especially, we love doctrine. We love to analyze every jot and tittle of the Westminster Confession of Faith. It is a thing of beauty, and I do mean that. So I'm not being sarcastic. But at the same time, may we not fail to recognize that apart from the work of God's Spirit, that doctrine is dead. I didn't say it wasn't true. I said it's dead. It is the Spirit who gives life. 
In 2 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul, talking about being a minister of the new covenant, says, God has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. We need the spirit. In one message that I listened to this last week, the pastor said, the order is important. It is the spirit and then the word. And I thought, that's a good observation. The spirit must come. And then when the spirit comes, we will understand the word. We will not understand the word until the spirit comes. And notice what wisdom says she will do. She will pour out the spirits. And if you look at the cross-references in your Bible, perhaps you have the same ones that I have, Joel 2.28 and then Acts 2.17, which is a reference to Pentecost and what happened on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was poured out. Peter preaches, and what happens after he preaches on the day of Pentecost? The people understood the words. They were convicted. He called upon them to repent and be baptized. And we're told in verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So that's why I said the Spirit promises Pentecost. If you listen to me, I will pour out my spirit and you will understand my words. Now, obviously, Pentecost was a one-time unique event in church history. But the outpouring of the spirit isn't. God can give us a greater and greater filling of his spirit at any time. Ephesians 5.18, which says, do not get drunk with wine, which is a Debauchery, instead, be filled with the Spirit is in the present tense. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. And Paul tells us we can grieve the Spirit. We can quench the Spirit so that we can feel alone in our, in our sin. And sometimes we are because we've grieved the, square, the Spirit. But when the Spirit comes, mighty, mighty things happen. This is what we read in, in Isaiah 30, 32. Verse 1, to give you a little context, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. And then verse 12, Beat your breast for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine, for the soil of my people growing up in thorns and briars. For the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted, the hill and the watchtower will become dens forever, a joy of wild donkeys a pasture of flocks, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. This desert is going to remain how it is until the Spirit is poured out. And when the Spirit is poured out, then everything changes. And now the desert blossoms. We need the Spirit. And I don't know if you know this, but technically speaking, the, the prayer each week before the message is called the prayer of illumination. 
And it is a prayer for the Spirit to come to open our eyes so that we can see and understand what we're hearing. It's a prayer for the Spirit to come and bring about conviction because if the Spirit doesn't come, the pastor preaches in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. Unless the Lord works in the message through the power of the Spirit, the preacher preaches in vain. And I do not want my preaching to be in vain, so I pray for the Spirit of God to work. You know, it's an interesting passage in John 16, 7. Jesus, imagine, is telling his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is to my advantage that I go away. Imagine Jesus saying that. It's to my advantage that I, that I leave you guys and go to heaven. I would file this under True is hard to believe. Uh, no, I don't think it's best for Jesus to go away. I think you should stay right here. But he went on. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus ascends and he, he sends the Holy Spirit. And wisdom says, if you listen, I'll send the Holy Spirit. And then I will make my words known to you. And we need God's word, but we need the living and active word that speaks to us. I'm sure you've all had this experience. I hope you've had this experience. Not the first one, but the second one. The first experience is sitting down and you're reading the Bible and you're like, okay, it's good. Not getting much out of it. And then there are other days you get up in the morning, you sit down, you open up God's word. And it's like the words are just flying off the page. God's glory is appearing. He's making himself known to you. You can hardly contain yourself. The tears are flowing freely because the Spirit of God is helping you to understand the Word of God. And that's how it works. We need the Spirit. We need the Word. I read these two verses in my devotional time sometime this week. I thought it was good. Psalm 107, 19. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. I like that. They cry out. And he sends his word. The word brings, brings healing. Wisdom promises Pentecost. And there's another promise right at, the, right at the end of this passage that I don't want us to overlook either. Verse 33. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Isn't that wonderful? You, you won't be afraid. And if you want a picture of how this looks, turn, turn to Proverbs 31. You have your Bibles there. I want to look at a few, few verses. Proverbs 31. As many of you know, this is the picture of the, the woman who fears the Lord. And in verse 15, we read of this woman. She ri rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff 
and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household. I love that. She's ready for the storm that's coming. She's ready for winter because she has prepared herself. So there is no fear of the coming disaster for this woman. Continuing on, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Scarlet and purple are the colors of royalty. Those in her household live like kings and queens. One of the commentaries that I have on the book of Proverbs is called Wisdom for Kings and Queens. If you live according to the wisdom offered in Proverbs, this is how you will live. You will live like a king. You will live like a queen. Your house will look like a palace, scarlet and, and purple. And then verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Isn't that great? She laughs at the time to come. Disaster is coming. A storm is coming. Ha! Bring it on. How can she say that? Well, in part, we see that she's strong. This is a strong woman. By the way, in case you don't know, we love strong women in this church. Wisdom with a strength that only comes from God. Women with a strength that says to the storms of life, come what will, I'm ready. I have prepared myself and my household by the grace of God. And she is so prepared that she can laugh at the future, as opposed to what we saw earlier in Proverbs 1, where wisdom laughs at us. It's going to be one way or the other. How wonderful that this woman can laugh at what's, at what's coming. And the reason why she can laugh, the key to it all, is really verse 30. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That's, that's where her strength comes from. She fears the Lord. Remember what we saw back in Proverbs 29? These fools, these simpletons, these scoffers hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They chose not to fear the Lord. This woman fears the Lord, and that makes all the difference in the world. As we stand here this morning, we hear wisdom. You have heard wisdom. She speaks everywhere, above the crowd, the, the noise of the crowd. She speaks, and she warns, because she loves. He loves us. I'm going back and forth be between the pronouns because this woman finds fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The warning is strong. But then there are these wonderful promises of what wisdom wants to do. I want to pour out my spirit. I want to make my words known to you 
so that you can be at ease, so that in your life there will be no dread of disaster, no fear of disaster, because of what I will do to you. I hope that when wisdom speaks, you hear her voice and you respond with fear and trembling. Not just because of how sober the warning is, but I hope you also fear and tremble because how glorious and good the promises are that wisdom wants to give to you. Let's close in prayer. Father.